0: Well, tonight we're going to be talking about prayer, and to begin with, uh, I'd love for us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, I Hall- one sec, i got to turn my notifications off. It's going to get annoying. Where's that again? Oh, Liverpool did win. Oh, great. Sorry, one sec. Sorry if that ruined it for anyone who was waiting to watch match today. Hang on one sec. Sorry, let's start again. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Kingdom. Hmm. Do you know what I was thinking the other day? If Scotland leave the UK, it's going to be really weird. They're like UK flag, not having blue. Like, can you just imagine it without the blue? Like, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, the the whole UK Brexit, all that thing. And then Harry and Meghan. I mean, what is going on there? Like, that is, I mean, talk about family dramas. I mean, your family drama on every newspaper. Sorry. uh, Anyway, but anyway, just interesting. What, is Scotland going to leave? Who knows? So any Scottish people out there, let's have a chat after. But sorry, let's, let's get on with it. Sorry. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done. Remember praying that and a situation wanting to see God come and his will be done and asking God to sort a situation out and to be honest it it didn't get better I think if anything it got worse so praying your will be done I'm not really sure if I necessarily want God's will done for my life I mean what is the point of praying if nothing gets better eh? but anyway you're in church so you better keep praying your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. All right, I can't pray that bit. It is 2020. I'm gluten-free. I'm gluten-free, daily bread. It's all about quinoa in 2020. None of this bread stuff. Oh, that's bad for my skin. Anyway, give us this day our daily bread. And besides, if I want bread... I can just go to Morrison's. Why do I need to pray for bread? That seems a little bit crazy. But anyway, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But, oh, that's gone on a while. We better skip this little bit and get onto a bit on prayer. All right. uh, Amen. 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 Thanks, June. Prayer. Prayer. What does prayer look like in 2020? A new decade? A new year? Is it something we need to kind of remix a little bit, maybe go back to it and say, okay, that was good for them, but we need to kind of mix things up for 2020? If you've come to church for the first time tonight, you're probably not massively surprised to hear that we're talking about prayer. I mean, if we know anything about Christianity, you might not have even been to church before, but you probably know there's kind of three ingredients to being a Christian. Read your Bible, come to church, and pray. Prayer is one of the key ingredients to being a Christian. But does it still make sense? Can we really believe in praying in 2020? Or do we need to change our views on it? Does it still make sense? Well, if you've ever looked into the the life of Jesus, you'll know that prayer was right at the heart of everything that Jesus did. Jesus, who 2,000 years ago came from heaven to earth and lived amongst us. We look at his life, the accounts of his life, the Gospels, and we read that his life was just saturated by prayer. You read all these stories about how he's doing these kind of amazing things, but then it will say he prayed. This morning, I started the book of Mark, the account of Jesus' life in Mark. And in just chapter one, he's doing all these amazing miracles. And then right at the peak of his kind of influence in that area, it says he went out early in the morning and retreated to pray. Now, if I'm Jesus's PR manager, if I'm his kind of uh, strategy guide, I would say that is a terrible idea. You're at your peak, people, it says, are literally waiting outside the house where he was. And instead of kind of milking it and getting kind of Jesus ministries launched, and if, you, if I was him, I'd definitely get a, trying to get a cheeky book deal on that one. And uh, I don't know, whatever, it's more miracles. And, you know, I try and, you know, ride the wave of all my influence in the area. But instead, Jesus wakes up early and he tiptoes out of the house and he goes away to pray. And then the disciples can't find him and they're shocked because they're waiting for the kind of the morning meeting where he's going to do more miracles and and kind of wow the people again. But instead, he's legged it to a quiet place to pray. Why? Why was prayer so important to Jesus? And what does it say about our own lives if Jesus the one we're trying to model our lives after, had to retreat to pray. I mean, if anyone didn't need to pray, surely it would be him. But no, he has prayer right at the heart of his life. And then when we see of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them to pray, I don't know if you've ever realized this, but in the gospel accounts of Jesus, the disciples ask him one question. They say, look, we could do with a seminar on this particular topic. And if it was me and Jesus was here today, I'd probably be thinking, I'd love to hear a little seminar on healing. Like if I could just see Jesus teach me a bit more about, is it there's certain words you're supposed to use? Or you put kind of a hand on the shoulder or like, what's the deal, Jesus? Teach me how to do that. Or maybe I'd be thinking, yeah, you know that water into wine trick you did? That would be great to know. Like, What's the secret there, Jesus? Teach me to turn water into wine. People will love me at parties. Come on, Jesus, teach me that one. You know when you fed 5,000? That would make the weekend away catering so much easier if you could help out with that. But instead, the disciples ask Jesus what? They ask him, teach us to pray. What was it about Jesus' life that the disciples saw, wow, there's one core thing that feels like everything else revolves around, and it seems to be prayer. Prayer was right at the heart of Jesus' life. And it wasn't just Jesus. When Jesus died and rose again and went back into heaven, the disciples then were given this mission to go and spread the good news of Jesus. And when we read those accounts in the book of Acts, the book that comes after the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, written by a doctor named Luke, what we read is that the disciples, right from the very start when churches were being formed and the teams were gathering and people were being sent out, right at the heart of everything they did was what? Prayer. Prayer. Every chapter, every page of the book of Acts you'll see accounts of the early Christians praying. Right at the heart of everything they did was praying. And so if it was a massive part of Jesus' life, and then it was a massive part of the people who Jesus sent out to spread his good news, to start the early church, what does that say about us in 2020? Is that what our church experience is like? Is that what our own individual experiences life? Where prayer is on every page of our story? Or is it a different sort of story? And if so, why? Why? It's a good question to ask. Because I think for most of us, including a large part of my life, I couldn't say that, you know, prayer is this kind of thing. If you were around me, you'd say, John, teach me to pray. You've understood it. You get it. Essential to everything you're doing. So impart to us your prayer wisdom, please, oh John. You probably, w- I mean, it'd be weird if you spoke to me about that, like that about anything. But if you were to speak to me in that way, it probably wouldn't be about prayer. So why don't we? Again, if you're a Christian, maybe you've been coming to church for years, maybe even decades. You're not surprised to be here tonight to hear someone speaking about prayer. This isn't some revolutionary topic, this idea of the importance of prayer. I probably haven't shaken your world and your beliefs about prayer just by saying how important it was then. But why is it that so many of us know the theory, the theology, the Sunday school answers to to say, you know, yeah, it's important to read your Bible and pray. Why is it so many of us know that but find it so hard to pray? It's true, isn't it? You can know the theory but the reality is so much harder. Again, I've experienced that in my own my own life. So why is that? Why do we find it so hard to pray? Well, I think there's three key things. I think one, we can be distracted. Two, we can be disappointed, and three, we don't always know how. So let's take a look at those three things. First of all, we're distracted. I think many of us want to pray, but other things just get in the way. You know what I mean? You're busy, you think tomorrow morning I'm going to get up, I'm going to spend some time praying, but then the night before it's just, you know, it's a late one, you're hanging out with your friends and, you know, you're thinking about setting your alarm, you know, well, if I get up at my planned time to pray, then I'm only going to get six hours and 45 minutes of sleep, so I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I've been there. I'm sure some of you have too. Or maybe I'm going to no, I'm going to try after work. I'm going to pray after work. That's 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 the best time because so I'm not a morning person. So I'm going to do it on the tube home. And then you get on the tube and you're just like collapsed just kind of like dribbling out your mouth listening to some podcast that you can't even remember when you get back. We're busy. Our lives are packed. Our minds are full. There's also the thing of our attention. Our attention is divided. I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase attention economy. Something that's getting discussed a bit more and more as it's becoming prevalent about the impact this is having on our society. So the attention economy is basically like this. Your attention is worth billions. Companies are fighting tooth and nail to win your attention. It is worth billions and billions every year they are desperate to win the war that makes you pick their product and spend your time and your money looking at what they produce and there's constantly new content and new apps and new shows and new podcasts being produced that are designed to grip your attention and the tidal wave of that amount of content is staggering In fact, there's a new form of anxiety now which people are increasingly experiencing, which is the anxiety of feeling like you can't keep up with all the content. You ever had that feeling where someone's like, oh, have you seen the new series of of Stranger Things? And you're like, ah, I really want to watch it, but I've still got that series to get through first. And then I'm trying to finish that book someone gave me. And and then I've been listening to that podcast. and, And then you don't get to that before the next thing comes out. And there's this anxiety... I've never been able to keep up. And it's staggering, the amount of content. So every minute, in the last minute, on, in YouTube uploads alone, in the last 60 seconds, 24,000 minutes of video were uploaded to YouTube. In the last minute, 24,000 minutes of video were uploaded. And that's every minute of every day. That means if for the next 58 hours, you were to take all the YouTube content that has been uploaded, and were to watch it non-stop, without sleeping, without taking any breaks, if you were to watch it non-stop, it would take you 80 years. 80 years just to watch the next 58 hours of YouTube uploads. The content being uploaded is crazy. And the goal of these massive tech companies, I've got a little shock for you here today. It is not for you to have a healthy prayer life. They're not interested in that. They're not having team meetings at Google thinking like, how can we help Ben have healthy rhythms of prayer in his life? They're not interested in that. They've got one goal. It's the same goal of every business, to make money to make money. That is their goal and they will do every single thing that they can do to keep you coming back, to make you addicted, to make it so that you need to go on Instagram every 24 hours or you won't see that content or to go back on Snapchat every day or you'll lose that streak or to go back to that show or iPlayer will remove it within 31 days. All of these things are designed to make you want more. I thought this was fascinating. I don't know if you saw this. Did, did you see the thing about what the CEO of Netflix, what he said about who their biggest rival was? The CEO of Netflix when asked, who is your biggest rival? He said, it's not Amazon, it's not Apple TV. He said, Netflix's biggest rival is your sleep. That is their biggest competition. They know that if they can keep you to just say, okay, I'll play, next, I'll play that next episode. You know where the little counter comes up? You're like, all right, just one more, just one more. They know if they can get you just to cut down your sleep, then that's one more play, one more hit of the drug, and you want to keep coming back for more. And you know what? They are doing an amazing job. We as a society are increasingly addicted, and the worst thing is, Most of us don't even know it. It's why so many of us now can't sleep until we've been on our phones for a little bit. Just have that little scroll through social media before we go to bed. It's why so many of us, the first thing we do before we get out of bed is what? Unlock our phone and see what's going on. It's affecting us. It's affecting us. I felt this myself even recently, I, I thought I was doing really well, I, I've kind of got my social media uh, habits uh, pretty good at the moment, and, um, and then I realized that I was just going on BBC News, the app, just six, seven times a day, it was getting crazy, I just kind of swapped one drug for another. And I was finding that either one of two things were happening. Either I was getting desensitized to these uh, horrendous things I was seeing. I'd be like, oh, another 25 killed in the Philippines. Oh, interesting. Meghan and Harry didn't care. Or I was getting massively affected. It's like, oh, in around. What's going to happen? Like, I mean, uh, this is, and then people text me. Have you seen this stuff about what Trump said? And I'm like, feeling, I'm like, neither of those two things is a good thing in my life. And both of them is affecting how I interact with God. It's both affecting how I pray. And this month I've fasted news and it has been awesome. I will tell you that it has been amazing. See, the problem is that technology is affecting our prayer life. We no longer have those moments of pausing. Remember that, what it felt like to be bored? Maybe if you're born in the last 15 years, it's something you haven't experienced. But there used to be a thing where if you had nothing to do, you had nothing to do. <laughs> no phone to pull out at the red light. When you're waiting for that person who's late, there's nothing to check online. You just had to sit there. And often in those moments could be opportunities to connect with God. To pray. To breathe. To breathe to take in what's going but instead we scroll so many of us are distracted i think it's pretty clear that that is an epidemic that we experience and it's not just out there it's in here too so what's the solution well the first thing is to recognize that to recognize it if you're here tonight and you're like man those people with you know their phone addictions and all that i'm so glad it's not me then my prayer for you tonight is that God would open your eyes. Each and every one of us needs to take a moment to recognize we are being massively affected by the influences, by the voices, by the entertainment industry and technology companies that so desperately want to influence us. And God's aware of this. In fact, it's not a 2020 problem. Yes, it's probably worse than ever it's been before, but at the heart of humanity is a desire for more and more and more. In Proverbs 27:20, 20, it says, Never satisfied are the eyes of man. Never satisfied are the eyes of men and women. We always want more. You know that feeling when you get to the end of a series, you're like, ah, oh, I just wish there was more episodes. I feel empty inside. I've scrolled through every social media feed and I still don't feel like I can go to sleep because I feel empty. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. Our eyes are always searching for more. And in a book called Competing Spectacles, Tony Ranke explores this whole concept of how we're trying to constantly look to other things, but in our pursuit of Christ, we need to make sure that we fix our eyes upon him. And I'll just give you a little insider tip now. I think there's a picture of it on the board. If you, um, if you go onto christianaudio.com this month before the end of January, you can download the audiobook version of that for free. I did it last week. I listened to the whole book, it's about three hours long, completely free for this month only. And this book really explores the idea of how, as Christians, we need to really fix our gaze on the cross the only spectacle that truly matters. And it helps us navigate through this 2020 world how we can look to Jesus in spite of all the distractions that try and take our eyes away from him. It's important that we realize we have a choice in this. You don't have to be ruled by your phone. You don't have to be dominated by some massive tech industries in Silicon Valley. You have a choice. We can choose. But it starts when we take a moment to step back and honestly look at our lives to say okay where am I at in my walk with god have i got distracted in my pursuit of him and that's something we're going to do at the weekend away next weekend we're going to take some extended quality time just to fix our eyes on god i can't wait for it it's going to be so good a chance to unplug from our phones and plug it in to our creator So first first of all, we're distracted. Secondly, I think that one of the reasons many of us don't pray is we're disappointed. We're disappointed. For many of us, we've prayed, we've asked for something, we've begged for something. We said, God, uh, please, please do this thing. Please, please heal this person. Please stop that. God, please provide this opportunity, that dream job. Please, Lord, give me that role. God, please help me. God, I'm I'm desperate to be married. God, I'm desperate to have kids. We've prayed those prayers. And it hasn't happened. It hasn't worked out as we thought. And we get disappointed. And we think, well, what's the point of even praying? Does it make any difference? And the first thing to say in response to that is that it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay. I think we have this myth in church that if you feel frustrated at God not answering a prayer, then you just need to kind of like put a smile on your face and, you know, just kind of go straight to quoting some verse about how good everything is, but we don't always feel like we have permission to say, I feel pretty hurt. It's a bit like that great song. I love this song, but there's a a line in it that I always have mixed feelings singing. That song that says, you're never going to let, never going to let me down. And that's true, but it's also not. Because God will, at times, let us down. There'll be times where we would have desperately asked for something, and we can't see any reason why God wouldn't give it. It doesn't happen. And we will feel let down. Now, yes, ultimately, God will never let us down. One day, we might know the answer to why he allowed something to happen. And in eternity, every tear will be wiped away. So yes, God will fulfill every promise. Every need will be eventually given. But in this life, it won't. We won't see the full extent of all of it. And the amazing thing is, God gives us permission to tell him we're hurt. If you turn to the biggest book in the Bible, right in the heart of the Bible, in the center, the book of Psalms, it is filled with, with psalms, with songs, with poems, of, of cries out to God, of why did you let this happen? Why do you seem to be deaf to my cries? In fact, the number one type of psalm in the whole book of psalms is lament, of people crying out and saying, why God? Why did you let this happen? And the awesome thing about that is it gives us permission to cry out to God and say, I don't understand. Now, in each of the Psalms, we do find another thing. We also find that at the end of their crying and sharing their disappointment with God, they come back to truth. They come back to truth of God's goodness, of who he is. And my encouragement to you is if you feel disappointed, you feel like you've prayed and God just doesn't seem to answer, then it's that reminder that we cling to where it says in the Bible, he is working together all things for good. He is working all things together for the good of those who love him. It's that reminder that his ways are higher. And when we don't understand why, it's trusting that he is good and using all things, even that painful situation in your life, he can use it for good. Thirdly, I think one of the reasons we don't pray is we don't know how. We're not really sure how. There's, uh, for some of us, that's because we're new to church and we're kind of exploring prayer. And you've had that moment where you're you're in like a little prayer circle at your community. And they're like, we're all going to go around and pray. And that is literally the worst thing anyone could ever say. The number of people have admitted to me, I hate praying in public. It freaks me out. We've literally had people here who, when we've said, we're going to break into twos and threes after the meeting and pray together, multiple people who literally will sprint to the exit. Because prayer can be scary when you're not sure what you're doing. And especially around people you might not know that well. It can be a bit confusing. How do you pray? Maybe you've been in a seminar at college or something. where They say, we're going to do some prayer and there's just a time of meditation. And it's like, That was kind of cool but a bit weird and I'm not sure if that's what Christians do. Or maybe you grew up in school where it was a Church of England school like mine and prayer is just the most boring, mundane, routine thing ever. And you're just like, if that's prayer, count me out. So what does prayer look like? Well, thankfully, Jesus taught us. When Jesus was asked a question, "Lord, Lord, teach us to pray, when he was encouraged to share that, He didn't stay silent. He gave us the answer. And the Lord's Prayer, as it's now known to us, is a great prayer. You can pray on its own. But more than just being a prayer to recite and recite and recite over and over, it more gives us the ingredients for what prayer looks like. A structure to follow that can help us when we pray. So let's have a little look through it. And it can be found in a couple of different places. It can be found in Luke chapter 11, 2 to 4, and in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. And there are different translations and different traditions about how they word it. So don't freak out if you're like, I've always said trespasses, and it says sins, like what is going on? And I said die, and your version says you're eight. It's all the same thing with just slightly different wrapping paper on it. So don't freak out. So we're going to go through Matthew 6, 9 to 13, the Lord's Prayer. And just as we go through this, I just want to ask you, is this what your prayer life looks like? When you pray, does it have these sorts of ingredients in? So first of all, our Father, our Father. Now this introduction to the prayer has stunning implications. See, how do you view God? What is your way of viewing him? Jesus here could have given us any way of addressing God in prayer. He could have said, come to him saying, uh, on your knees saying, Master, high in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we say, cool, all right, that's how God wants us to enter into prayer, to to kind of be uh, head down and uh, kind of thinking of him as the master and we are his servants. And fair enough, that could have been what Jesus taught us, but he doesn't. He teaches us to start our prayers with our Father, our Father. We start prayer by coming not to a master, not to a head teacher, not to just some distant deity, but we come to our Father. He's a dad who loves us, not one who's going to abandon or forsake or leave us. A perfect heavenly Father. That's how we come into prayer. Next, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed isn't a word that we probably use a whole lot. I don't think I've ever used it in normal conversation. Maybe you have. If you do, you're probably wearing a waistcoat and top hat. Hallowed's not really a kind of word we use today. But it's a helpful word to use sometimes in prayer or a concept at least. Because what hallowed means is most beautiful. It's like saying, God, your name, you are so beautiful. You are wonderful. It's starting prayer by not looking at our problems, but by looking at him. Have you ever been in one of those prayer meetings where you enter in and it's like, all right, let's let's all pray and everyone goes round and you're sharing what you want prayer for. And it's like, yeah my knee's bad and the next person's like yeah like I'm really sad and the next person's like yeah this is going on and all true and all good to pray for but rather than fixing our eyes on the one we're praying to it's this inward kind of like oh life is awful but actually you know the truth before anything else is that God is good he is beautiful hallowed be your name that's how we come into prayer, not with just this list of demands of, oh, God, my knee, oh, God, my work, oh, my colleague is doing my head in again. Why do they always forget to CC me in? Lord, this is terrible. Like, my life is just awful. My charger broke for my iPhone for the second time. Like, no, we go into it by saying, hallowed be your name. This is all about you. My head is raised. My eyes are lifted to you. Next we say, your kingdom come, your will be. Done now. This is maybe one of the craziest parts of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, if you're someone who uh, doesn't really understand this or isn't willing for the answer, I just encourage you not to pray it. I'd encourage you not to because God might answer it. This is probably one of the most uncomfortable things in your natural state you could ever pray. Why? Because this one is all about laying down control. And we hate that. We hate laying down control. We want control. In fact, in so much of our discourse we have as a society now, we talk about, I want freedom. I want the ability to choose my destiny, who I am, my identity. I choose it. Another way of saying that is, I want control. I want to be able to define my life in who I am and I don't want anyone else telling me how to live or who I am. It's a control thing. And this prayer comes bang smack in the face of our cultural narrative. It's an upside down sort of prayer. Everything you're hearing, this goes bang smack in the face of everything our society says about what life is about. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. See, many of us pray this. We pray that line. You might have prayed it since you are in primary school. But what we really mean, if we're honest, is not thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but my kingdom come, my will be done. And God, if you could bless it, that would be awesome. Is that fair? Is that true? Is that God... Uh, I want to say thy kingdom come. I I want to live for you, but as long as that involves me being healthy, as long as that involves me getting married, and ideally nice and young. I don't want to have to wait. And God, I'd love God to have children that are really well behaved and get good grades as well. That would be nice too good at sports and you know, getting to good unis that I can boast about to my friends. And God, I love to be, I'm not going to say rich because that's not a Christian thing to do, but God, I love to own my own house and only have to give enough money away that I feel good about myself, but it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. I love to serve at church, but only so much so that it's enjoyable. And if people keep calling me out of hours and... Yeah, God, just not that, please. Send the awkward people to someone else. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. See, we joke about that. We can laugh, and, um, but I know I've, I've definitely not wanted to submit every part of my life. Let's be honest. Do we really want to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? See, for many of us, we, we've got things we're saying this more, like, why God, why did you let that happen? And he's saying, Well, you've been praying for years, your will be done. And so I answered your prayer. See, God's plans don't always look like our plans. In fact, often they look very, very, very different. And the most freeing thing you can ever discover. The most freeing thing you can ever experience is not having complete control, but laying down control. Of saying, There is one who I know who made me, who loves me, and has my good at heart. So even though it's painful, I'm going to give everything to him. That is true freedom. Not being able to define your destiny and your identity. But true freedom is choosing to give it up to the one who loves you, who made you, your creator. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The most freeing and probably scary thing you could ever pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Now most of us, when we read that line, we're like, I can't really relate to that. Yes, there are the odd people, you know, in our community, which is great. where trying to get by day by day. is a real struggle. And it's amazing as a community how we're able to support people in need. I love that. I love that we run a food bank here. I love it. But the reality is for most of us, you're not waking up in the morning not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. And so actually one of these key ingredients to prayer can be missing from many of our lives. You can just pop to Greg's. You can just nip to Morrison's. In fact, you don't even have to leave your house anymore. Get the Tesco's delivery to come to your door. We don't need to ask for our daily bread. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why Jesus says one of the most kind of crazy verses that he, uh, in the Bible, one of those crazy things he ever said, which is it is easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into heaven. And we like to skip that verse or we like to think it's talking about the person with the massive house on that street with all the massive houses. But we don't really think about how it could apply to our own lives because it's too uncomfortable. But the reality is our dependency on God must be at the heart of our walking with him. We must see that we need him for our every breath our every day, our everything. And this is seen all throughout the Bible. Solomon prayed for wisdom. Samson prayed for water. Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still so he could finish a battle. Daniel prayed for interpretation to a dream. David prayed for forgiveness. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. Paul prayed that the thorn in his flesh should be taken away. And fathers prayed that their daughters would get better. See, if it matters to you, it matters to God. We need to develop that dependency on him, that recognition that we can't do it without him. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now again, a lot of us would probably prefer to leave this one out. Think about that person that does your head in. Forgiving them is not something that comes all that fun or all that naturally. But this is so powerful. In fact, I'm increasingly convinced that the number one things that make Christians stand out to the outside world is forgiveness. I'm regularly amongst people who are struggling with bitterness, who for years and years and years are unable to let things go. And as Christians... We can pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Before Christmas, if you were here, at the beginning of December, we watched a video of someone called Brant Jean. And this was a guy who was in a courtroom, a true story from a few months ago, who was uh, giving a statement to the woman who murdered his brother. Now, if you were able to face the person who had murdered your brother or sister, someone you loved, what would you say? what would you feel and he said to that woman to Amber Geiger the woman who killed his brother Jesus loves you and I love you and so I forgive you and after we showed that video on that Sunday so many people came up to me and said that was incredibly powerful that was amazing And why is it we find that so amazing? Because naturally within ourselves, it just isn't something that we want to do. If you read the comment section of that video online, people are angry. How dare you forgive them? I could never do that. But the reason Brant Jean could forgive and the reason that we can forgive is because we know that we have been forgiven of every sin, past, present and future that we've ever done. That's what enables us to forgive. And so that's why the line in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. When you know you've been forgiven, you forgive. And it's a powerful message to the watching world. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is something that Dave looked at last week. And if you weren't here, I really encourage you to listen to his talk. He was talking about how we are in a spiritual battle. See, we might think that our our struggles in life are against that work colleague or that family member or that neighbor who won't let you have your extension or the big tech companies or whatever it might be. But actually, our fight is not against flesh and blood or things of this world. But as it says in Ephesians 6.12, our fight is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you're new to church, if you're new to faith, you could think that sounds crazy. That sounds like some weird voodoo, sort of like witchcraft sort of stuff. But no, the reality is behind what we can see, touch and feel, there is a spiritual battle going on for your life. The devil hates with a passion that you are in church tonight. The devil detests when you spend a moment to pray. The devil loves it when you switch off to God and switch on to Facebook. He loves it. It's a battle. It's a battle. And this prayer, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, recognizes that we need God. We are weak, but in him we're strong. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this is an invitation. Tonight the message isn't, if you're a good Christian, you should pray. You better pray more. In fact, next week, I want you to record all of your prayer hours and submit it to me, and then we're going to put it on the board and shame the worst prayers at New Community Church. That's not what this is about. This isn't about, come on, like, whipping you on the back, work harder, pray harder. No, no, no. I've been in those prayer sermons before. For me, they last about three days before. I feel bad about how terrible I am at praying, and it never lasts if you're going to grow in prayer, if we as a church are going to grow in prayer, it has to come from the heart. It has to come from the heart. If you're here tonight, just like this has literally been one of the, the most kind of disengaging talks I've ever heard. Now, some of that might have been because I haven't done a very good job and that's fair enough. But some of it might be because your heart is far from God. That may well be it. Now, it might not look like, well, you know, I, I kind of am angry at God or anything like that. But for me, speaking honestly, in recent times, what it's looked like is I've just kind of got a bit numb to things. I've just kind of gone through the motions. And, uh, my phone has taken too big a place in my life. And If my heart is going to be warm to God again, I've got to make some changes because I want to love him. I'm beating myself up every day. I forget to pray or I'm too busy or whatever. isn't going to do it. It's falling in love with him again. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I've never been in love with God. or that just sounds a bit random. Well, tonight, you can know what it means to have a relationship with a God of the universe. Your father who made you. You might not have been planning that for today, for 2020, for your life. But tonight, God is giving you an invitation to come to know him. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to accept that invitation. And you can do that today. It's not about just getting your life in order and stopping swearing and smoking and hanging out with certain people and then God will love you. No, it's about saying, God, I I want to know you. I want to know you, Lord. That's the invitation tonight. And I think for some of us, actually, we we do want to pray more. But actually, it's that our heart has got a bit cold, a bit distant. And there's an invitation to come back to him tonight. Now, in a second, we're going to end and we're going to pray. And I'm just going to encourage you to open your heart to him. But before we do, I just want one final encouragement. The Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. Our Father. It's a corporate thing we do together. It's important that we don't do this Christian life alone. Prayer together is so helpful. So I just want to encourage you, as Catherine did during the notices, this week as we gather to pray, why not come along? If you've never been to a prayer meeting before, Come along to one of the nights. Give it a go. I'll be there. I'll happily stand with you and pray with you and chat with you. And if you're like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever been to, we can laugh about it together. It will be all good. Come along to the week of prayer.